Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but we look at things through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Ryan Kirk, lead cloud architect and team manager at Formula One. I was super impressed at how Formula One is taking full advantage of being cloud native to stand up and tear down what they need to support each race around the world and all along the way, increasing their team's velocity. I always start really simple with the basics. Who are you and and what do you do? So I'm Brian Kirk. I'm the lead cloud architect and team manager at Formula One. Um, so kind of my bag, I guess, is kind of anything to do with cloud. Um, I sort of do kind of technical strategy as well as as well as implementation as well. Um, and so kind of the the cloud function very much lives in kind of my core, and um, and the DevOps function as well, uh, which is a a recent kind of. Um, yeah, it's kind of more of a more of a recent thing, but yeah. So anything anything DevOps as well. So that's you know it's been a it's been a great great sort of combination of um, of of teams, I guess, within the business. Yeah, you're. I would say you you said two two phrases that that tell send me signals that you're a little further along in what we would consider your API journey because being embracing the cloud and and a DevOps kind of culture are two important signals that we look for when it comes to understanding where, where our customers are. But tell yeah. me, like, what's what's with the cloud uh, transformation? And, and is it recent? Is it new? Have you have you been on this uh, on this journey for a while? What's, what's it look like? So we're kind of a bit late to the party um, in terms of kind of cloud adoption goes. And we we adopted um, the cloud, specifically AWS, five years ago when, when we um, partnered up with them. And um, and up until then, you know, we we had dabbled kind of in in cloud tech, but we were, you know, very much an on-prem solution, and um, and it, it really kind of accelerated our our cloud adoption, kind of having that partnership, and you know, it was like a, it was like opening a tool chest of all these kind of magical toys that we had never sort of you know seen or played with. So it was a, it was, it was quite it was quite good fun, um, especially in sort of the beginning. So sort. Kind of prior to that, we we had an on-prem solution, and it was it's sort of an incredibly bespoke solution. But you know, it, it worked for us. We're where we were we're a traveling circus, I guess, in that kind of aspect. We had a we had a huge data center um, that would travel kind of to every single event. So you kind of picture your kind of corporate data center in a way that would have you know um, off the top of my head. Uh, um, yeah, probably between 30 and 40 racks of kit and we would you know up and lift that we'd go to the circuit have all the engineers go um, sort of a week before the event and there was kind of a really fine-tuned kind of routine I suppose I suppose in a way that uh, everyone kind of knew what they were doing even from the kind of the smallest of processes so we could get this kind of behemoth um, rigged up and, and ready and tested within a matter of you know 48 hours and uh, you know we'd have the race, and, and it would all come back down again, get put back on a plane, and and off it went, and and that's how it ran for you know a good part of fifteen years. So, um, so that and and that's it was, it was one of those if it if it isn't broken, don't touch it type things. And then once we signed with AWS, you know it kind of opens opened our eyes in terms of kind of you know 
what we could do with with the cloud um you know from both from kind of a corporate aspect as well as as well as a race aspect as well and um and really kind of use what what the cloud is great for and that's having you know um you know sort of event driven architectures and you know the infrastructure that you wouldn't necessarily or typically have access to in, in kind of a, a standard kind of data center and um and then yeah once that snowball was rolling it just kind of picked up momentum and you know more and more sort of ideas got thrown into the mix and and here we are sort of five years later wow yeah it's an important journey and it's one i see a lot of enterprises on right now and so I'm guessing with this this journey, you touched on a little bit, newfound powers requires newfound skills and people to kind of uh, start paying attention and, man and managing this at an operational level. So the DevOps culture kind of sh comes in. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about like what that looks like at Formula One? Yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, that that was the, you know, the hurdle was kind of the, the cloud adoption in a way in the sense of, you know, it, getting over that kind of idea of, you know, you, you can't go and switch it off. You can't go and reboot it physically. It's, it's all, you know, you don't see it. It's, it's, it's magic, it happens, you know, way in the distance. So that was kind of one thing. And then the second thing was, you know, this, the idea of, of DevOps. And we kind of, you know, dabbled in what, I suppose what you could kind of class as, as DevOps in a way, kind of, you know, automation within kind of task schedulers and that sort of stuff. So it, the, the idea wasn't completely foreign to us. However, the whole, um, what kind of 99% of people um, like you and me would consider DevOps now was, you know, an alien idea. And, and you know, it, it was something that took us a little while to kind of, you know, kind of bring bring it into the culture. So, you know, you can, I sort of say to the sort of developers, you know, you can deploy and it, you know, it just takes care of it. You know, you get, it, will, it will move and it's kind of, well, how does it move? How how does that process work? If we just put it in a single location, um, you know, how does that work? How does the change approval process work? How does this work? And there were loads of questions, but they were all good questions because it was, it helped, the, the educational part of it kind of helped um, the selling point in a way, but, um, you know, helped the adoption because it was like, look, look at this. This is, you know, we can fully automate this and we can like, auto recover this. And, and, uh, and it, yeah, again, it was another snowball that kind of just picked up momentum. And, and now, you know, we run, um, especially sort of cloud, every single one of our systems is, is fully kind of automated, automated deployments through change control. Um, we have, um, we're very heavily involved in DevSecOps in the past kind of 18 months. So, um, you know, all that automatics um, kind of security remediation and reporting has saying, uh, saved us bucket loads of time, um, you know, even from kind of rotating um, API keys. You know, it's, a, it's something that takes 10 seconds if you've got one key to rotate if you've got say hundreds <laughs> and you do it every single three months um you know and bringing devops into that process you know the op saving that kind of operational overhead is it, you can't really put a price on it um so yeah so we've kind of got fingers in all kind of all all kinds of pies um in devops within sort of DevSecOps. we've got GitOps. we've got kind of traditional cicd processes um you know standard kind of automation in that sense yeah, we're, uh, I would say everything ops seems to be a common theme for this show uh, across. I mean, we're 
data ops, ML ops, model ops, all the yeah. full spectrum yeah. we're we're seeing too. And so you're 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 preaching everything that your team needs, you know, as far as automation and and mm-hmm. flexibility and agility. How did you explain this to leadership? What 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 sort of uh, convincing did leadership need to understand the the benefit of all of this? So so for DevOps, um, it was a it was kind of a a build it and they will come type thing. It, it, we kind of developed these you know these kind of proofs of con- proof of concepts um, in the background. It was just you know let's see if we can automate this, and and it was more of a show and tell rather than a this is kind of what we want to do. It was, this is what we've been doing. Um, you know, come and have a look. And uh, and we would sort of showcase some of our solutions and um, and that kind of just ended up selling itself in that way. You know, it was, um, yeah, it, it was, well, you know, and the fact it kind of, especially from sort of um, you know, senior leadership and management, it was very much, okay, well, you know, these deployments are going into production. What change control processes do you have? And, you know, yeah, okay, it's fine. You know, once it hits this point, we get an email and then it gets approved. And blah, blah, blah. So once that part was out of the way, um, it really did kind of sell itself. Um, it didn't take very much convincing and um, and the proof was in the pudding. I mean, in the sense that it was, you know, the, the ticket numbers for sort of um, manual kind of deployments and, and the requirement for manual deployments really decreased. And and uh, and the results kind of just, just shone through of, of the benefit that it has to a business. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I would say what I'm seeing across a lot of different organizations is, is they incrementally just start living in this new kind of cloud native, elastic way. Find these superpowers, demonstrate what's happening, but it's not like overnight everything's fixed, and you still have to deal with legacy partners. You still have to deal with a lot of, a lot of things that are happening, but this this agile or more elastic uh core of cloud native is is really beneficial to helping evolve all the conversations with leadership conversations with partners all of that are you seeing benefits outside of your core team and leadership from this approach yes so um we've sort of had quite a big focus on um repetitive tasks for people like our development team so um, an example of this would be um, so at the end of each race, uh, so on a, on a Sunday night, the race happens, we would, you know, uh, we back everything up, which is you know, fairly kind of expected. And, um, and our sort of data teams and our development teams, they, they want access to this data as, as quick as they can, and especially sort of all the databases and that contain the newest kind of car data, lap data, timing data, telemetry, all that sort of stuff, because they want, they want to be able to test with it. So, um, you know, kind of typically in a, in the kind of old kind of pre-DevOps world, that would be, you know, a, a traditional kind of a ticket into IT. Um, the engineer would kind of, you know, take that back up and restore it into into the development environment. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a process that takes a little while. So through kind of DevOps, we've, we've managed to build a, a self-service type environment that allows developers and, and people to, you know, once that backup's there, they you know they can log in, hit go, and it and it will just go and deploy into that environment without kind of a, a need of um, you know someone in, in IT. So that's just kind of one of the things. So that that self service it, it benefits kind of both um, both departments in the sense that like the devs they're they're unblocked. They can you know they can run with um, whatever they want to do. 
um, within reason, of course. And uh, and the IT guys then don't get you know these these tickets kind of building up and um, you know and, and being poked and prodded to do them for for the next day. So it's a bit of a mutualistic relationship in that sense. But again, that kind of core kind of DevOps is is the real sort of um, supposedly not so secret source that that provides that. So how do you make this, you mentioned how you're, I would say, enabling developers. Um, mm-hmm. There's a certain part of this that's, um, there's amount of governance, you're putting in guardrails for developers to kind of exist. It's a, a very common approach with the clouds, but you're, you're giving developers, and you mentioned self-service, self-service is a really important theme that we're seeing. So how do you, how do you make this visible to, to developers so they know what there's, what's possible, what's out there? Is it documentation? Is it observability? What, what do you do to help them see this very abstract landscape that exists? So um, we kind of sit with them. So we work very closely with them anyway. And, and we will kind of, you know, they, they will come to us with, you know, their, their sort of bugbears and, and sort of say, you know, is there is there a way that we can do this, for example? And, um, you know, we, and we chat it out, you know, how would you want it to work? Where would you want it to go? And, and we kind of just sort of take those requirements in and kind of facilitate that, you know, we might sort of say, well, here we go, you know, that we've, we've kind of taken your requirements and this is what the, the output is and, and, and this is it and, uh, and see what they think. That's kind of it. So it's, quite, it's an informal sort of, you know, a, a chit chat yeah. on kind of, you know, how. And um, but I mean, it, a good sort of stimulating conversation comes out of it. I mean, it can be anything from, you know, that, that sort of database restoration. It can be, um, you know, creating repositories that are consistent. Um, it can be, yeah, it, there's a sort of a you know, variety of stuff. Yeah, so it's a very very white glove kind of feedback loop with them. I'm guessing this is perpetual. This isn't like a one-time sit down and then we're done over. It's, it's in an ongoing way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's ongoing. We, you know, we catch up with, um, with teams across the business almost kind of weekly. Um, just for, you know, we either kind of sit back and, you know, and chew the fat and just have a chat or, you know, we talk, you know, right. Okay. This is, this, we're having a bit of a problem with this. You know, can you guys do anything? Um, is there anything you guys do can can make this kind of quicker, easier? You know, um, less reliance on on you guys, and um, yeah, and sort of it comes out in that that format. Nice, I like it. I think that's a. I think we rely on a lot of automation where um, where it makes sense. Um, sometimes I feel yeah. like as enterprises we go a little too far with automation, where we need <laughs> probably just yeah. some humans in there figuring this out and actually understanding how it works. So I think that really reflects that. And I think the other area I'm seeing it critical being human alignment is not every developer on the ground understands all of what's needed from the hundred or 500,000 foot view when it comes to security, when it comes to regulation. And a lot of those things need to be kind of packaged up and provided to them. It's back to those guardrails or that enablement so what's what's the regulatory landscape? I mean, you guys are a, a circus or a carnival moving around. I'm guessing you roll through different jurisdictions. You got you got things you got to think about when it comes to data storage and stuff like that. Yeah, this is it. And um, you know, uh, the our information security team is kind of another team that we work you know incredibly closely um, with because it's as we all know it's kind of easier to 
to implement something going in and try and reverse engineer it when um, when the newspaper gets rolled up and you get bonked on the head with it because you haven't met a certain compliance uh, requirement. So, uh, you know, we I like to sort of think we're quite well versed in in those kind of security requirements and especially sort of, you know, um, the, the cloud is one thing, um, you know, it's, it's kind of those kind of standards, you know, we we run against um, AWS's security framework and CIS benchmarks and all that sort of kind of um, that sort of stuff. We build a lot of automation around that so that that then kind of takes care of it for us um, so that if any kind of future things come up, it just will just go and remediate that um, rather than, you know, finding out that the production system's got something that we wouldn't necessarily want. Um, back at sort of our kind of our traveling circus it's um yeah that i mean that was a that was a tricky one because it was a you know it's it works kind of don't touch it type thing and um you know it's, it's a hard thing to kind of put security guardrails around something that's kind of you know so bespoke and kind of so delicate in that sense not delicate from a resiliency perspective but i mean um we only have one of these so this was this was a data center that was one of that would go to every single event and without it, there was no race. So, um, you know, but yeah, they, they go, those InfoSec guys, they run a tight ship and they do very well to kind of keep it all, all kind of under control. Cause as you can imagine, you know, we deal with hundreds of um, different kind of consumers and that might be video consumers, data consumers, broadcast services. It's not just kind of what, what we see on on the screen it's um you know there's a load kind of that happens in the background um you know global customers and, and that sort of thing so yeah they, they do a good job to kind of keep that locked down without affecting that operation yeah and i'm guessing the the cloud's giving you a lot of more agility and flexibility but also control and um and with those guardrails i'm guessing there's there's governance in place to keep people from making changes right before a race or pushing something bad right right on a friday night right before a race or something like that yeah we have a really interesting change freeze um and it's it's quite famous or we when we sort of tried to explain it to um you know to certain kind of parties it's it's quite tricky because we have so the race obviously happens on a sunday now on thursday we have a, a closed kind of full system test. So there's a, um, the FIA will drive a car around a track for an hour. And it is like, it's films like an F1 set, it's treated as an F1. What we class, um, so when we're live on air, on TV, we call it a session. So if I refer to it as a session, that's kind of what I mean. So we're as like a, you know, this is, we are live on air, we are all systems go, everything is in live production. Um, so we treat this as kind of a, uh, an f1 session as it were and everyone sits in place and as if you know there was f1 cars going around the track now as soon as that starts that marks the official change freeze of anything kind of technical that can affect um, the broadcast there's a little bit of um sway you know sort of our our network teams and those kind of more critical infrastructures they're real sort of low level infrastructure their change freeze is, is the day before because um, you know you don't really want to be putting in stuff like router changes before a change freeze. So they will they kind of step back and do it in case there's any issues. Um, you know they they have time. So so that that marks the change freeze. Now nothing can change from then until the end of the race 
However, there are always issues. So these things happen. We do have to do emergency changes. Everything is logged meticulously, logged and discussed. Um, and also kind of, you know, what's the plan? Is it going to happen again? Like you can sort of, you know, you found something that's not, not gone right. How are you going to fix it? How are you going to kind of stop this from happening again? Um, happening again? And uh, and then yeah, once once the race is over, the change freeze lifts, and um, and it's funny because when we have, you know, we might have maintenance being done, and it can be any, on any part, not sort of internal maintenance, but maintenance for might be connectivity providers, it might be you know bits in AWS, it, it might be you know here kind of here there and everywhere, and from their perspective, they'll kind of go right, we'll do it on, we'll do it on Saturday at one a.m. or Sunday at one a.m because that's out of hours, you know, um, customers are Monday to Friday. It, not quite like with us. If say, for example, we are racing in Japan Sunday morning at 2 AM, we might be in the middle of qualifying <laughs> or, you know, we could be live on air. So, and you kind of try and explain this. It's like, I know you're kind of doing maintenance. It's out of hours, but it's not out of hours for us. So, um, so we, we bring them on board with our change freeze quite often, especially if they're partners of ours and sort of, you know, bring them into the, as part of the whole, the overall change freeze within F1 itself. Um, because we always do all of our, so all of our kind of race systems, you know, they, do, we do all our maintenance and patching on a, on a Monday and Tuesday. Those are our kind of downtimes because no matter where you are, it won't affect the race. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's it's interesting kind of navigating. It took a while to adjust to kind of navigate those um, those kind of obscure times. Yeah, it's much more just uh, regions. I hear a lot about regions and and the cloud helps there, but but mm. and being global, we all talk about we're global businesses and we're all kind of tech companies these days. But yeah. that's a, a an interesting mix across the board of time scheduling and critical nature because like. Retail stores will have high sales during certain part, you know, hours of the day. Different, but yours is is much more, uh, much more rolling and kind of different and unexpected. I'm guessing. So, does the cloud and and DevOps and APIs is this kind of state of being? You feel like is is making this all doable for y'all as a team and making it so you can deal with any challenge comes your way. Yeah, it does. And and using kind of, um, you know, kind of best practice infrastructure as code, you know, using stuff like GitOps, we know that we can we can recover elsewhere with a with quite a small kind of recovery time objective. It's, you know, we, we've got it all defined. It's all it would just be a case of instead of pointing it to A, we just point it to B if there's an issue in A and you know, and, and give us a little bit and it will all come up and, and services resume. So it's, it's really kind of how, and, and we test these and, you know, and we do kind of that, that war game style testing um, quite regularly. And, you know, and it's, it's what it kind of how it feels, it's, it's a confidence thing because, you know, you, you've shown that if it all goes wrong this side, you can, you can do it on the other side and, um, you know, and that's, and that's great. And also if you have, if you start having issues, um, you know, stuff like underlying infrastructure and stuff, you you have that automation that can can pick up those things almost kind of as they happen rather than a, oh yeah, this happened and it's happened five minutes ago or a minute ago. You know, it can almost kind of pick it up and and it will do what it needs to do, kind of almost in the background. So by the time we get an alert, a, a, a chain of stuff has happened that we should be already be in a better place by the time we've logged in. 
Um, so yeah, through through automation and DevOps, it just it's really it fills you with confidence more than anything. Yeah, having a handle over your topology like that. You mentioned infrastructure as code. Like, I just don't remember twenty years ago being able to have this level of control or the granularity of control over how things work. And then to ever be able to go, I mean, I could roll back a database, or I could, but I couldn't roll back my whole infrastructure to the last mm -hmm. known state or set it up anew. That just it's a it's a really new kind of state, uh, a reality that we live in. That seems um, almost like we're living in the future, right? Yeah, it, it really is, and it's kind of and and again, kind of coming to that management aspect when you kind of describe, oh, we're doing infrastructure as code and kind of see a bit of a kind of a blank look it's like you know they can kind of piece together what it is but they don't know what, like you know how the benefits of it and you kind of say well you know this entire you know multi-tier system that runs this service that's important so yeah we can just you know within a couple of commands and it will just spin up over there and it, and it will just work and uh yeah it, it's it's bizarre in that like you said it's kind of that kind of futuristic um way of working that you know 10 20 years ago you you kind of wouldn't have thought that you would be looking at you know maybe sort of 60 lines of code and and you can move an entire system um in the background so it's yeah i mean it, it's again can't can't really put a price on on that in a way yeah and i try to it's in you know i've heard quite a few signals from you that y'all are further along in your journey than some of the other enterprises I've talked to in healthcare, finance. And, and you mentioned like, if, if it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. I mean, there's attitudes like that in finance that are like, you know, go 40, 50 years back, yeah. you know? And so they've got a Basically. lot of technical debt to deal with, but yeah. just the way that you've, you've talked about the benefits of DevOps, the benefits of cloud elasticity, the benefits of, of being able to move and 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 have control of your topology shows that that you guys are have kind of gotten over the hump with it. I mean, it's there's always challenges that we have to face, always fires, issues, but um, it shows you just have a lot more control over the landscape than I think some of the conversations I've had. What what interests you in all this? I mean, personally, what what's the thing that excites you about coming to work each day in, in this landscape? Because that's the other aspect of this I see is people seem to be happier in these in these states. So yeah. what 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 keeps you excited? I think it's the I'll I'd probably say at the rate that it changes, it's it's kind of almost a um a kind of a full state to have something perfect and that's quite sort of nice in a way because there's a million and one ways to do things and there's always ways you can improve what you've got you might have something that's very very good very resilient there'll always be something you can kind of change and and especially with these cloud providers you know they roll out they work so hard in the background rolling out new features new services you know new architectures and stuff that it where it's so dynamic it's you kind of never sit stagnant and that's what I quite I really enjoy that about it because you know it's it's something that you know a system that we put in a year ago and we might look at it and go all right let's just strip it out change the technology you know try and innovate further you know we can let's focus on you know bringing the efficiencies in we can bring the cost down we can bring the resilience up and it's 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 kind of that that kind of dynamic side of things I think that 
that kind of excites me is that no days are the same and we you know it's, and sort of the, my team and I we obviously we this the stuff that comes through the front door on kind of requests and bits and pieces we obviously will deal with and the race side of it we will deal with but kind of on that uh, outside of those two we just kind of work what we want to work on so if you know if we decide you know, let's do a little POC on 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 this and just kind of sit there and work on it and um and it just it just makes it fun if you know if you're if you're a tech head then you know it's it's good fun just having a having a good old tinker around pretty much and seeing what what you can do with the tool set that you have and i so one thing i notice when i talk have all these conversations with different enterprises in different industries is people don't can't see the benefits of of being in an environment where there's not always a fire or something crazy mm -hmm. or all this legacy infrastructure operating that you have no idea how it works is you're given more breathing room. You're given more, more, more space to do these kind of prototypes and innovation because you're not always chasing the latest, you know, you're not jumping on the fire truck, chasing the latest fire. And so, but what you just described, like, I, I, I guess in these other more chaotic environments where things have, have, have grown up wildly or organically people want things to be done they're like well just tell me when we're done with kubernetes like mm. tell me when we're done with api first like they view things as a checkbox like yeah. and what you described would scare the hell out of them like perpetual change i yeah. mean is is this is this i mean is this just you and your personality? You like change? Or do you think it's just the state of doing business moving forward that all businesses are going to have to deal with change at this this pace? I think it's a bit of both. I do like I do like change. Um, you know, I, I do. But I also think that it is, as you said, you know, it's in these kind of historic kind of systems and these, you know, monolithic kind of legacy systems that is, you know, we'll just leave it alone eventually it's got to change it has to and and even sort of not not kind of monolithic legacy systems eventually they sort of will change so if you're if you're changing them regularly then you know and you're keeping up with various trends it's not such a big step it's you know we might uh, you know a good example say say you kind of containerize an application it's okay you've containerized it and you run it how you want to run it and then you decide you want to go a step further you want to run it on Kubernetes. It's not such a jump. You're not then taking a legacy application and going, right, we're going to run it on Kubernetes and we're going to containerize it. it it's, it's more of a an incremental step rather than this kind of huge hop. And I think I think that's good because it, it's, although kind of perpetual change is scary, I think sort of saying we're going to move this all the way into the kind of the latest and greatest is kind of a little bit more scary. So it's, it's kind of the lesser evil, which one's the lesser evil type thing. Yeah, and that's a lot less scary than some of the waterfall releases I've been on in my career, you know, that were just scary because there was hundreds of features and changes and things and, and when something went wrong, it went horribly wrong yeah. versus today I'll make little changes that are just, you know, not moving boulders, I'm just a handful of pebbles like here you yeah. go and if something goes wrong, it just doesn't freak us out as much. So it sounds like I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a third element to your world, the industry, and you're in Formula One, so things are gonna move fast. Yeah. But then there's also you, your personality. But then also, I think it's it's the culture that you've created through cloud DevOps APIs and this kind of this this way of 
flexing your muscles and in, in your knowledge and what you need to know to get the job done. And you guys are just confident in your abilities, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think as well is that quite sort of an important, certainly from sort of our experience um, within sort of the, the cloud and DevOps team is that sort of don't, don't be afraid of kind of what you don't know. Um, so, you know, when we sort of ventured into um, sort of the Kubernetes realm, you know, we, we didn't really have too much of an idea. It was just kind of let's play around with it. You know, let's, let's learn about it and, and see, see what the hype's about because we'd heard loads about it at the time. And, you know, and, you know, we learned from kind of like people who, who had had experience in it and sort of ended up sort of paving our own, our own route. And, you know, now, you know, we're kind of running production systems in it. And, and so, yeah, I think it's certainly that kind of, even if kind of it's a, something that's complete alien, it's still worth taking a look at because it might provide you benefit somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, definitely building up that muscle. It's like training for a marathon or a race that you've you've got to be doing this regularly. There's a lot of training that goes behind this, but you have to be willing to to learn new things. You have to have a, be curious, have a certain amount of curiosity, but also be able to find information. What's this is this is one of my questions that I ask. I think I asked probably seventy five percent of my guests. And I feel like I should replace it, but I keep hearing some really interesting answers I'm going to keep asking is, where do you get your new information? How do you personally learn new things or your team? What's the best source to, to access info? Ooh, that's a good question. So I always find it's a bit sort of left field, but I find um, YouTube's a great, if you're curious about something and you don't know that much about it, YouTube's fantastic because you can you can find sort of very high level overviews to really sort of deep diving and very sort of specialist topics about that certain thing. And so I find if I'm kind of curious about something, I usually go to YouTube and, and find a, a, an overview of some sort and a, a technical overview. So there's sort of a bit of tech thrown in there, sort of give me a bit of an understanding. And, um, and that, that's really kind of how that's kind of my first step into it really. And, um, and then if I want to, you know, really want to sort of deep dive, it kind of depends on, it does depend on the topic. Um, but you know, uh, Google's your friend, right? You know, finding there's some, there's massive amounts of great content out there for, for learning and it doesn't necessarily require sort of training courses or, or even kind of payment. You know, you can, there's a lot of things that you can, you can get sort of half halfway there at, at the very least on kind of the free content that's available through Google and YouTube and and stuff. And uh, and then once we kind of decide, once we kind of get to that point and we go, yeah, actually this this is something that we really want to, you know, we want to get our um, fingers in and really sort of go in quite hard with this. Then we we might look at you know exploring other avenues um, for sort of the, the entire team and and stuff and kind of more specialist training, but. But yeah, generally before that, it's just self-research. Yeah, yeah, no, it's important. And there's a certain amount of curiosity, I think, that's required. You got to want to learn these things. You got to be wanting to scratch. YouTube's a big place. You got to be good at searching, <laughs> finding what you need. Um, 
And, but I think it's a, it's a good way. I, I work real hard to produce a lot of, have my team produce a lot of video content. That's not just Postman specific. We focus across the API lifecycle and in mm -hmm. areas that aren't directly API to try to educate people. And we have three formats. We have our 90 second, our 10 minute and our 60 minute formats mm -hmm. that we publish to try to, because we know we're all busy and, and, and we need, you know, sometimes a, a, a two minute video is all we, we've got time for on our lunch break. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what's innovation look like? I mean, you got Kubernetes in production, where's, you know, what's the, what's the innovation landscape look like? Is it AI ML? Is it serverless? Is it service mesh? Like what are the, what's the spectrum of things that interest your team? Ooh, sort of a bit of everything. So at the moment, Kubernetes is quite hot. Um, you know, we're we're playing around with all kinds of various applications and, and technologies on that and integrating it with our GitOps framework. Um, we're also looking to implement that same framework on-premise as well so that we really do have that kind of source of truth that kind of sprawl into cloud environments, on-prem environments and um, through that. So that's, you know, that's exciting us. Um, Serverless, we've, we've always been a massive fan of serverless. So, um, you know, we use a lot of it for our automation on the platform. It, we just find it, it works, it's reliable. And it's one of those kind of, once you do it, you fire it and, it, and forget about it. And it just kind of does its thing. Um, so yeah, we're, we're big, big advocates of, of serverless in that. Um, in terms of kind of innovation, I guess, it's, it's certainly bringing um, the, lots more of the DevOps framework onto um, our sort of broadcast sites. And that's kind of exciting us because, um, you know, there, there's so much scope for, for having that, um, everything on all kind of layers, you know, application layers, uh, you know, to kind of almost like, and also sort of network infrastructure and, and that sort of thing. It, there's, it's all this kind of scope and um, we're sort of, the, we're working with the various teams at the moment to, um, you know, to really bring, bring the, that kind of same framework that works so well for us in the cloud and bringing that down um, into kind of the, the broadcast environments as well. So uh, yeah, we, that, that's got us kind of quite excited at the moment, I think. Oh, I like to hear that. Cause I, I'm really, what really excites me about APIs is, you know, when we started, I started this 2010, it was, well, we have websites. Now we have mobile apps. We need to standardize our APIs. And then we got devices, internet of things, but the network lately, I'm doing a lot of work with Cisco and Cloudflare mm. and Akamai and others, like the programmability of our networks, like as an old DNS, like I always hated DNS back in the old days. Like I love <laughs> DNS now because there's all this enablement. So like the network layer, there's just so much opportunity for automation and, and mm. just living applications i would say the concept of what an application is is just blown out of the water now like yes. you're just applying all your digital resources and capabilities is what you're doing yeah you really are you kind of almost bring in like a you're creating an abstract idea of an application in that sense aren't you because it's an application isn't the application as we used to know and love it's it you know it will act in the same way as as you know as you said it's all you know that network infrastructure and and that kind of having that layer above it you then what kind of sits beneath doesn't really matter it's just an abstract idea and and you control it in the same way you deploy in the same way and 
and it, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's it's come very it's so far from what kind of what it used to be, where you had those kind of vertical, vertical kind of silos. You know, an app was an app, and a network, you know, a network switch was a network switch, and and that was that. Yeah. What what's changed for y'all in during in the COVID times here? Has 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 it evolved how you approach what you do? What hasn't changed, I think, is yes. uh, during the COVID period. We um, so the the traveling circus uh, was essentially split um, split in two. So with when COVID kind of kicked off, uh, we had a bit of a, a very very small bit of breathing um space and there was a lot of conversations you know can we go and race and there was a lot of conversations between us and the local and the, the local authorities at the at the place we were going to next and um and essentially the you know sort of senior leadership said well, the, the, at the moment the less people we can send the better the less equipment we can send the better so it was always a multi-year strategy um, for formula one to do remote production it was always um, discussed because we have um, we have a goal by 2030 to be to be um, net zero carbon um, in terms of our sustainability goals. So it was always kind of going to form part of it. Now this was a multi year thing or a multi year planning, and we ended up executing it in seven weeks. Um, you know, it was a all hands on deck idea. It was you know something that we'd never done before. And we had, you know, the, the whole engineering division and in all their different um, sires and the production teams. And and we, we split it in half and, and stretched it across a, a one link. So we ended up having what was called, so what was called the broadcast center, which was this singular um, unit, uh, singular data center that traveled, ended up getting to split into two entities. And that was known as the RTC, which is the Remote Technical Center, which is what we run back in the UK. And the ETC, which is the Event Technical Center, which hosts a, a subset of our real kind of latency and um, critical uh, systems that are track side in case we have connectivity issues, we can still provide those services, we can still have a race. And um, so it was a it was a massive, it was a basically it took took kind of the culture side of things tipped that upside down and also the technology as well um tipped that upside down because what we were you know systems that were traditionally trackside were now based in the uk and there was a lot of adoption that had to take place i mean everything from you know our, our timing services um which is as you know sort of quite latency critical um to uh the the team of people that do the color correction, live color correction on the cameras that are trackside, they, that gets done from here as well. So, you know, you go somewhere like Japan or Australia and, and you're color correcting a, a camera and you're having, say, 130 milliseconds on your action before it's actioned or, or before you see the result. So, you know, and they, they were very used to it being, you know, sub milliseconds because it was a, it was actually at the event with all five of so everything changed it, it it really did and and what was nice is that you know we we got a race out you know that first kind of race it was a bit nerve-wracking for everyone involved we you know we tested it we tested it but you know we got through it and and then it was kind of right well what's the next iteration of it 
you know, what what services can we do? Do we need the services at the RTC? Can we use the cloud for remote production? And and you know, it it stimulated so many ideas. So for in terms of 20, 2020, it was a real kind of year of innovation. We kind of had, you know, years and years worth of innovation and kind of condensed into six months. And uh, it was a busy time, but it was, you know, it was good. And we we managed to reduce the the amount of traveling kit that went to the race. We reduced by 34%. So, um, you know, it saves, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of kit that we've saved and is now sort of back, um, back in Kent in the UK. And, and that's where we do our, a lot of our remote broadcast from. So it's, yeah, it, it was an interesting time. Wow. Yeah. What a journey. I mean, I think just your, your overall journey as a company, but during this time, I mean, it sounds like, and I hate saying coming out of COVID because it's just been such a hard time for on a human level for so many folks, but yeah. you're going to come out of it better on the other side, aside from the human, but from the human side and human costs is organizationally, you're, you're much more agile, nimble, flexible, able to respond to whatever's going to happen. Yeah, this is exactly it. it. It was a kind of a, it was a real sort of testament of, just you know this has worked for 15 years but you know everyone's heads together and you know we've we've managed to to achieve this and you know and it's been sort of put into a into a proper facility and and the technologies that were sort of used are just kind of iterating and um you know and we're sort of taking it that step further and we're now sort of doing uh dabbling in cloud-based production because that's that kind of seems to be the next step of the journey. I know sort of there's a, there's sort of a few organizations that are, you know, pushing cloud-based production and, and, you know, it looks fantastic. So that's kind of the, the next, I suppose, cycle of, uh, of our kind of production is to kind of see, see what we can do in that space. Cause, and that's all very exciting. Well, I look forward to your, your journey, hearing more about it in the future. Cause I think y'all definitely, built up some muscles and some processes and approach that's that's pretty compelling to 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 learn about i appreciate you coming by today and sharing this with me no not not at all thank you for inviting me wow thank you uh, and uh and enjoy uh future races I, I wish you all the best and luck in 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 your api and cloud and devops journey i think the the ops transformation is going to be continue to uh be very interesting landscape and I look forward to tuning in. Thanks for sharing. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Ken. All right. Enjoy your day. Thanks again to Ryan for stopping by. For more on Ryan, you can find them on LinkedIn and you can learn more about Formula One at formulaone.com. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And until next time, Cheers.